Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, cultural anthropologist, brand marketer, 20-year innovation storyteller, and founder of Emerging Media, Susan Lindner. Hey, what you drinking? Okay, we're going to just get started because... Every conversation I have, it seems like we're getting more in-depth. We're going to uncharted areas. We are talking about things that I don't know that we're supposed to be talking about, but that's my commitment to my audience to share with you the real and bring to you some of my friends that are just really, really, really brilliant. And this conversation is no exception. I'm going to bring into this conversation, Susan Lidner, come on in. You are a storyteller extraordinaire, and I am just so excited to have you as part of Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. Come on in. Well, thank you for having me. I feel like I'm, I don't know if I'm strutting up on the front porch, settling in, like I'm in the cozy living room with the stogie. Like, paint us a picture, Galen. Where should we envision ourselves today? Oh, you're, you're in my, you're in my cave. You're in my cave. cave. <laughs> Few people get to come to my cave, right? There you go. But I invite, I only invite close friends and brilliant people into my cave. And even closer friends get to share in my whiskey collection. So before we jump into this, my audience knows this question because I hit everyone with this question. So you are no exception. What you drinking? <laughs> You're like such a girly girl, like elbowing up my way to the uh, into the cave here. Um, I am not a whiskey drinker. I avoid the browns. I instead live on the clear side of life. And so today in my cup, which runneth over, is Kettle One Roses and Grapefruit, which is an infused botanical vodka with a splash of grapefruit juice and a little bit of lemon. That is my summer cocktail of the day. Wow. That sounds complex. Sounds simple, but complex. Just like me. You You are what you drink, Galen. Almost refreshing. Almost refreshing. And a little bitter. Okay. Got it. Got it. Well, since you are what you drink, I'm going to go back to the bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, but I tell you, this bourbon that I'm that I pulled out because I knew I was bringing in the storyteller extraordinaire. 
I grabbed for one that has a bit of a story to it. You know, for many years, I uh, worked at a company that was headquartered in Atlanta that happened to have a red trademark and poured some sparkly beverage that was brown usually and would accompany bourbon. And since they're not paying for this, I'm not going to mention their name, but they're headquartered in Atlanta. And there was a time when I would drive from my home here in Missouri to Atlanta just because I enjoyed driving. And one time I was driving and I happened to pass by this billboard that mentioned Jack Daniels Distillery Tours. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm just barely getting into bourbon and whiskey at the time. I've got to find a way to hit this tour just so that I can check the box that I've made the trip to Jack Daniels Distillery. And I can't do it on my way down to Atlanta. I'm definitely going to do it on my way back. And on the way back, I didn't check the small print. And wouldn't you know, the distillery closed at 4.30. And uh, there's just no, there's no way I can make it to the distillery at 4.30. And so I'm kind of bummed. And I, I drive up another two or three blocks. And there's another sign for for Dickel, George Dickel Distillery. And I'd never had George Dickel. But, you know, hey, look, I've come this far. Let me go. I pick up the phone. I give them a call. Are you guys still open? Yes, we're still open. Uh, we've closed our tour, but our store is still open. I'm like, okay, all right, well, I'm on my way. And so I come through George Dickel, and they've got this nice setup. And you can watch a video of George Dickel and how they process their bourbons. Uh, but you can't go on a tour. And I've never had George Dickel bourbon before. And so I can't sample. So I can't even sample this product that I've never had before. And they're saying, well, we're, we're about to close. I can't let this be a fruitless trip. So I said in my best big baller voice, just give me one of everything you got. And so I bought a bottle of every version of George Dickel they had. And I had never tasted it before. You know, the guy kind of explained to me, okay, you know, these these are the younger whiskeys, and this is where you just kind of break this out for anyone that comes over. But these, there's like a 12-year, there's a 9-year, there's a 14-year. You only break this out with people that you really know really, really well and, and mm. that you care for. And so that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm, I'm going to break open the 14-year. The oldest version of that big baller trip that I that I took that I could find. So I'm going to break that open. Okay. I've tried it since then, but let me. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I'll be okay tonight. I think wait, I'm, wait. So when you're when you're at that, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is yeah. actually going on inside of Galen that you get? You're almost getting the Matthew McConaughey. All right, all, all right. right, all right. <laughs> I know it, but I can't articulate it. And the only thing that comes out is, yeah, yeah. So while I try to find the words, Susan, won't you just share a little bit about your background? You are literally one of the first professional speakers that I've come to know, that I got to know at a relatively intimate level um, because we were part of the same program at the time that I was coming into the organization. So share a little bit about your background and bring to life why I am so excited about having you as part of this conversation. I'll leave that to your guests, to your listeners to determine, but 
you know, I, I was so grateful that we got to know each other. I felt like we grew so much in that mastermind process when we really got very deep into some of the elements of having faith in a plan and faith in an opportunity that would present itself and an opportunity for abundance. So I'm just grateful to have been on that journey with you because I think we really held each other through the opportunity to see something much bigger than ourselves in that mastermind. And of course, that's through Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. My background, I was really conflicted kind of coming into that. So my background, you know, my, my mom and dad, I start with them in thinking about myself because my father was a Holocaust refugee. He was German. He was Jewish rather, excuse me, and German in World War II and fled the last day Jews were allowed to leave Germany for England and survived. And my mom, who was German and Christian, was in Hitler Youth Corps as a child, uh, not through any desire or ability to say no on her own. Coming from that diverse background of my dad and my mom on opposing sides of a war and meeting on East 86th Street in Manhattan, I feel like the foundation of my life was disruption and understanding how two very opposing forces can come together and even love each other has been the greatest source of inspiration, I think, in my life, recognizing that as humans, we hold a lot of stuff inside of us and uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so that's been uh, an awareness I've had from a very young age about how the world works and how people work. So I guess it started there. I became an anthropologist in college and that journey led me to some really radical thinking. So I became... I guess I would say radicalized while I was studying abroad in Central America. And I wanted to join the fight and take up arms with the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. So while I was studying anthropology and theology at the University of Costa Rica, I left and I hitchhiked through Nicaragua to get to the front lines and fight there. But along the way, I saw the destruction that war creates or leaves in its wake. And I thought, I don't want any part of this. Although my beliefs were strong and fighting for a righteous cause, it was not the way that I wanted to engage in the struggle. And so um, I came back to school, I finished my degree, and I would go on to work in Thailand. And I shifted my major to focus on Southeast Asia and went to work in brothels in Thailand, doing AIDS education with prostitutes and their customers teaching them how to use condoms and protect themselves through maybe eight customers a night till two or three o'clock in the morning, making sure that the women who are working in those brothels were safe and that their customers were not bringing HIV home to their families. And so I did that for three years in rural Thailand. I was the only one with this face <laughs> where I lived in that neck of the woods, right on the Burmese border. And then um, came back and worked at the Centers for Disease Control doing epidemiological work, looking at all the strains of the virus coming into America from different parts of the world. And that was my last healthcare job before making the big shift into the dot-com boom. I had an AOL account. I mean, who couldn't work in tech, right? I mean, what more did you need to know? So I shifted my work in HIV and went to work in tech and started doing tech marketing. I thought, if I can convince a customer in a Thai brothel at two o'clock in the morning to put on a condom, I can certainly convince a tech journalist to write a story about a cool new startup out of Silicon Valley. And with that, I learned the power of 
great storytelling of influential marketing and how to actually change people's behaviors and attitudes using story to make that happen. And so I got my start in storytelling in the brothels of Thailand and then brought it back to Wall Street and Silicon Valley and to the boardrooms of Fortune 500 companies 20 years later. Wow. I don't know that I could find five people in my lifetime that could talk about a history that spans from working with people and professionals in the oldest business in the world all the way to working with dot-com companies. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty wide breadth of experience there, Susan. Yeah, and, and you might have found some of those dot-com executives in some <laughs> of those brothels if we're being really honest about it. So that's just a big stretch, you would think, from the outside. And, uh, you know, if you've heard any of my recent conversations, you know I've become really enamored by these things that don't seem to fit on the outside when you look at them initially. But when you peel back a a layer, they fit perfectly as if they were made for each other. Because I'll tell you, on the surface, it does not fit that you could go from working in brothels all the way to advising Fortune 500 executives on how to tell better stories to move their organizations into the direction that their stakeholders want for them to. Help me understand how this fits. It started off by an understanding that when I was in Thailand and I was trying to protect people from getting HIV, one in six people were sexually active people where I lived were HIV positive. One in six, right? So just thinking about standing in line at the bank, think about going and doing your grocery shopping or you know, dropping off the kids at school. One in six sexually active people are HIV positive. There were no drugs. There were no medicines. There was nothing. And so the only thing that we had was the condom. And so Galen, if I were to ask you, how old do you think the condom is? How long do you think the condom has had a relationship with human beings on the planet? I would suggest probably at least a thousand years, although it was likely pretty crude a thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. What if I told you it was 10 times older than that? Oh my gosh. 10,000 years, this little device has been with us, protecting us from all kinds of things. And they were first discovered on a cave painting in France in the Grotte Caramel. And uh, we don't know to this day if this was a public safety message, or if this was some guy bragging about last night. But we do know that there's evidence of the condom that far back, probably made from, you know, sheep's intestine or something like that. So the only thing I had with this thing that was not an innovation, right? It was 10,000 years old. It was my only line of protection against HIV with with this particular population. And so I realized that the story had to change because we didn't have anything else. So how are we going to change people's behavior, get them to adopt a product or service that they may not have had before, right? If we talk about it in corporate terms. And so the Department of Health had one idea and that was fear. You know, use a condom or die. And there were billboards everywhere that said just that with terrifying pictures of hungry ghosts that would eat you after you'd passed away in the event that, um, that you decided not to follow that advice. And you know what? It worked for a while, it worked for about six months. We saw rapidly declining HIV infection rates. However, after about six months, everything flatlined and we saw rates climbing again. The same thing like you see here, right? The same thing like you see it with COVID. So you do what any good marketer does and you double down on it. 
And that worked for about another three months. And then it stopped. People got tired of using them, obviously. No, no joy there. And once we figured out that by making the listener of the story, the mama-san who owned the brothel, the customer of the brothel, or the sex worker, made them the hero of the story, tell us what you need to be the hero. Then we could actually get adoption and things would shift. And in fact, what I did with the sex workers was who were really just trying for survival was to help them find ways to train them to become entrepreneurs so that they didn't have to succumb to the brothel system and they could start their own small businesses. And by putting them in charge of their own destiny, the desire to use a condom shifted, even with eight clients a night. Wow. Okay, so now you, you are connecting with a story that's possibly 20 years old. You're connecting with something that I'm literally working through right now. I've, I've signed up and I've been going through this online course that's sponsored by MIT, but it's basically this MIT lecturer, senior lecturer, Hal, Hal Gregerson, talking about the importance of questions. He really talked about what you just mentioned, that very often marketers or executives or leaders or whomever they will encounter a problem and they'll just double down on what they've been doing, right? They, they won't take a step back. They'll just say, well, let's just do more, right? The million dollars that we invested in this product doesn't seem to work, so let's make it two million. And what Hal suggests is that what we need to do is take a step back and ask better questions. Rather than pursuing a flawed answer, let's ask a better question. One of my favorite quotes right now is the only thing that's worse than coming up with the wrong answer is coming up with the right answer to the wrong question. And I just love the fact that you turn that entire conversation around by asking a different question. Talk to me a little bit about how that, how that impacts not only the work that you did then, but the work that you do now. How much of it is around helping your clients understand the real problem that they're needing to solve and possibly asking different questions. It's so important. It's so important because if we're not asking the right questions, well, let's take a step back. If we're not even listening, you know, so often we dive in with both feet, especially when it comes to innovation. If you're an innovator with a passion, you've already got the idea. And so the ability to stop and slow down and just listen, sometimes even before the questions get asked, can you tell me about this? Mm. And just let the conversation flow. So my background as an anthropologist is doing great ethnography. There's really understanding people, where they come from, from their culture, their faith, their socioeconomic group, um, their geography. All of those things around ethnography is understanding first, what's the lens that my subject is looking through as they talk to me? Because it's not all empirically objective. So can I get a sense of who is talking to me first? And then thinking about really smart questions from there on in, what's the inquiry that I'm after? Not with a particular objective in mind, but rather to get a clear picture of what my subject cares about. And I'm always looking for answers to what drives desire, what drives fear, um, like those really you know, limbic brain kind of emotions that drive our behavior. 
And I'm also trying to get a sense of what creates goodwill. And by that, I mean, how will my innovation um, make someone else's life better? And I had better understand what that means to them before I understand what it means to me. Oh, wow. Wait, wait, wait. Let's back up. You got to say that again. That sounds a little different than the way corporations have taught us to communicate with customers that we have in our minds what sounds good to us. And we basically ask, we ask questions, but we ask questions trying to lead the customer down this path so that they give us the only answer that they could possibly give us so that we can sell them the thing that we already have determined that we need to sell them. But you're saying actually ask questions to find out and be curious about the answer? What? I was like, blasphemy. Right. And that really big question, right? The reason that we do innovation to begin with is hopefully to make people's lives better. That's why we innovate. That's Mm. why we want to move humanity forward, hopefully, is to make life better. So I now have to ask that question, what is making life better look like to the person I'm talking to? So for example, if I'm in a B2B capacity, right? I'm selling a B2B product or service. Chances are my B2B product or service will save you time, save you money, make you more efficient, right? If I hire an accountant, saving me time and saving me money because I didn't have to pay to go to school for accountancy, but someone else got that degree while I was studying anthropology. So it saves me time and money to hire an accountant rather than do my own taxes. But that is the baseline of a B2B sale. So the next question is, what is my prospect doing with all the time and money and productivity I'm saving them? What do they want to channel that magnificent energy into? So now if they're saving time, where is it being spent now? Am I putting it into new products? Am I expanding into new markets? Am I doing cool and exciting things with my team? Does it mean I can lay people off? Does it mean I can hire more? Right? What does it mean I'm doing with more money? If I'm getting more time back, great. Now what? What happens with that time? And if I'm more productive, does it mean I get to go home at five o'clock on a Friday? Can we shift to the person and say, wow, what does it mean personally to bring goodwill, to bring innovation to someone's life? Does that mean if I work in a cybersecurity company that I don't have to worry about false positive alarms going off all the time and I can actually relax? Can I take a vacation? Can I see my kid's soccer game? What's the benefit on the other side? And we're not pushing all the way through to finding what out, what's happening personally and professionally. And by the way, what does it look like at week one? at six months, at 12 months, at three years, at five years, tell me all the ways that life gets better. So that's the job of us as marketers, but it's also the job of of us as innovators to say, what does my user actually want? Mm. It almost sounds, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it almost sounds like you're suggesting that we've got to care, legitimately care. That's what it sounded like you're suggesting. So at the basis of good storytelling, a story of goodwill creates caregiving activity in the brain. It's the desire to take care of one another. And this is a very ancient thing that, you know, we have done as humans, right? Eat this mushroom. Don't eat this mushroom. This one will make you feel really happy. This one will fill your belly and this one will kill you. So the desire for us to start with going, wow, what would make you the hero? What would make your life better? intuitively now puts the recipient in the position of saying, I want to tell the world of my experience because humans are storytellers by nature. When you make somebody's life better, 
their immediate impulse, if you give them the tools, is to tell the rest of the world. Because we only learn two ways, Galen. We learn by experience and by story. Unfortunately, our human brains have only excelled that far. So our experiences touch the stove, ow, it's hot, or mom saying, don't touch the stove, it's hot. That's it. That's all we got. Maybe a prophetic dream here or there, but otherwise, (laughs) experience and story. That's how humans come to knowledge. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.